2: NBC Sports Football Morning and American columnist Peter King, what do you think about the Chase Thomas podcast?
3: I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being.
1: Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite
2: podcast apps.
1: chase thomas podcast. the chase thomas podcast Um, (laughs) my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i
2: hate it all right hello and welcome back to another episode of the chase thomas podcast where i'm still the aforementioned chase thomas coming to you live from knoxville tennessee everything school hq it's take graphs the mlb show here on this very feed today because guess what Major League Baseball. We're already in the second round, John. And I, I texted you, the baseball gods are very kind to us because um, we do not have to wonder like, oh, are we going to have to talk about a game that's happening while we're recording? Or we have to talk about, well, what if the series goes a different way? No, uh, it was all chalk and it was all quick exits for a number of teams uh, this week. Uh, John Taylor, Fangraphs.com. How are you?
3: I'm doing well. And yes, I appreciate, you know, it, it's the the... The the real like problem, I guess you could call it for for baseball media, is that on the one hand you love baseball, you want to watch the baseball, you want great games. On the other hand, you're rooting for sweeps across the board. You want mm-hmm. no no like weird n- nothing that messes with your plans. You don't want it to have to deal with uh waiting on series to be figured out, waiting on coverage plans, waiting on on games to be scheduled. You know I have a little calendar tacked up here to the wall, just a, a plain old here you know the month of October. And all Mm. the days that are TBD are all marked with asterisks, 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 Asterisks. and yeah, there you you just you're just hoping when you see those, you're like, don't even need those. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, then it's that weird tug and pull between, you know, two days without baseball during the postseason sucks. Don't care for it. On the other hand. Nice to get a little bit of a break. Nice, like you said, to be able to talk about the wild card series completely done, to be able to talk about the division series without having to worry about, you know, oh, it's going to be Arizona is going to be Milwaukee. Is it even going to matter at the end of the day? But yeah, we can we can now just sit and comfortably uh, call the Rays frauds and feel good about it.
2: Well, is that your take of the week, John? Because there's a lot to get to that we'll talk about here in the wild card. No, I'll, I'll, um, I'll
3: save that. I'll save that for when we talk about the specific the specifics of the wild card. I will say I could have reused my take from last week here, which is that this round just does not serve a purpose. Mm. Um, which is not to say that you know, it, you know, it, it's funny because throughout the wild card series, I think pretty much a little over half the, or just about half the time, it's been pretty evenly split between higher seed and lower seed winning. Mm. But with this year now counting, we've done this uh, four years. This is the fourth year of expanded postseason, including the, mm. the COVID postseason, and it's thirteen out of sixteen wild card series have ended in two games. 13 out of 16 have been sweeps, and they've been entertaining games. I think, you know, they, both these, all these series, I think with the ex- the only real exception is Phillies, Marlins, and I think we all kind of expected that to be the the one where there really wasn't going to be much, of a, much drama, have been pretty dramatic, have been pretty entertaining. Uh, I think, you know, especially uh, Brewers, Diamondbacks, with the Diamondbacks coming back twice. But it, it just hasn't given us that much drama or this, I, I think it's, a, it's obviously a market change from the wild card game. The one the you know, the win or go home wild card game that, you know, for, for as much as you can say, it's deeply unfair uh, to the, you know, to a team, like say, I mean, the, the example always get probably get held up or the pirates who in back to back years ran into Madison Bumgarner and Jake Arrieta at the peak of their powers uh, to lose in a wild card round, especially, especially, despite the fact that the, the year they played Arietta and the Cubs, they had won 97 games or whatever it was to finish second in the NL central. Hmm. On the other hand, again, there, there is just—I think—if you're going to go away from the built-in structure, the established structure of playoff baseball game series being a minimum five games, you know, maximum seven, all the way down to this best of three, you, you might as well just take the drama of the single game. That second game does not really add anything to it because, again, we've seen it—we've seen it over and over throughout these four years. The team that wins the first game overwhelmingly wins the second game. The mm. odds are just stacked so highly in your favor to win one game before another team can win two, and so I I, I kind of just wish that if we were going to do this wild card round, just make it a game then. Just have multiple wild card games. Just add two more wild card games. Let's just have it be the one game, and then we all get to move on. We don't have to do a second game when you know a, again like ninety percent of the time it doesn't make a difference. It's still that the team that wins game one almost always wins game two. Mm. And you know there was you know we got four sweeps this round. Which again, good for good for us as baseball content producers to be able to get that locked in advance, but not very good for drama. I imagine probably not very good for ratings. I imagine MLB probably wishing that they had those third games just to you know add the little extra. But at, at the end of the day, the, the check still clears from ESPN, so what does it really matter? No, my, my fuller take though going forward is Well can I say one thing quick yes. thing on this
2: on the wild card? Yes. I think we talked about this last week too. Is if you're gonna get rid of the one game, uh, the one game in in type deal, that was awesome. That I miss every single year. Yes. And that we're gonna get, do this whole chalk thing when you talk about and you win game one in a three game series. It's just you're probably gonna win the series. Just, yeah, I mean,
3: if you looked at our zips uh, postseason game by game odds, almost irregardless of the or basically almost regardless of the matchups, I'm regardless regardless of the matchups. Uh-huh the team that won game one had a 75 to 80 percent chance of winning the game two and thus the series. You know, right. the, the odds are just hugely stacked against you if you lose game one.
2: So let's cut the charade and just do one gamer. Like all the wildcard yes. games are just one games. That I, would be I, I, so I'd, much more fun.
3: I I really I look and look, I'm sure the teams that lose complain. Why are we only getting one game? You know, it's not fair Win. it, it sounds silly, but win more games don't don't be a wild card team then. you know I value the regular and, season more. And that's the thing. like we are taking that value away from the regular season. And look, that's already been happening. That's already has happened. We talked about it last week with the addition of a third wild card lowering that uh, threshold for being a playoff contender really to about 85, 86 wins. And you see it expressed in the comments Jerry Depoto made in talking to reporters after the Mariners were uh, after the end of the season for the Mariners saying that essentially the goal for Seattle is win 54% of the time because that is basically the minimum you need to hit, 54% of your wins in a 162-game season, which is, uh, just to give Jerry some exact numbers, that is uh, 87 wins. 80, let's call it 87-88 wins because that, that more often than not will make you a playoff team with a third wild card. I think uh, Miami was the third wild card with 86 wins and in the, in the American League. Uh, Toronto was the third wild card with, I believe, eighty six or eighty seven wins as well. I, I mean, the the DePoto stuff aside, which I just find that whole conversation be deathly boring, and I think he's right on the substance, but just terrible on the presentation, which is a Jerry DePoto staple. You know, we need, or better said, not that we need. I don't. I don't think that we need this particular way of organizing the playoffs. We're just it, it's not adding up to anything really. The teams that are advanced, the teams that advance. You know, I'm not saying I'm not saying you're going to like all the favorites advance. This wasn't purely chalk, but at the same time we didn't really get any surprises. We didn't get much drama in the process. We again, we got four sweeps. So, um I continue to think that the wild card round just feels like an unnecessary appendage stapled onto the body of baseball, which it is because it was done first and foremost for monetary reasons. But I do think if we want to keep it around, like like you and I have been saying, just make it a single game again. You know, to, if it's only going to go two games 9 times out of 10 anyway, then what does it matter? Make it the single game, give that single game the drama. Now you have four winner-go-home games. The yes. best games in baseball. A game's you have four game sevens to start the postseason. That's fantastic. Who's gonna complain about that? that Except for, you know, if you're maybe if you're a, the team like the Brewers and you lose that first game, and you're like, hey, we won a division and our postseason is over after one single game. Okay, it all, it all, it only lasted an extra game this time around. And again,
2: that's the whole thing. It's like you're only getting one extra game anyway, and also it was kind of over when Woodruff the Woodruff news came out, and you're like, oh, this is probably that. That's a yeah, goner. For, for yeah. as much as I,
3: I liked crowing about the, or I mean, not crowing, but bring up the Brewers as a potential dark horse, the second Brandon Woodruff went down, that that pretty much went out the windows. Like, yeah, this strategy doesn't really work if you only have two really good pitchers, and even then, both Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta uh, did not really perform up, I think, to the expectations the Brewers needed for a, a team that really can't hit the i guess the other take i have coming out of the wild card round is uh, man the phillies are really really dangerous they are a really really good team that i think at this point uh, if atlanta's your world series favorite and i assume that it is for most people and i think a lot of people then would probably land on the dodgers as as number 2 i i think there's a pretty good argument to make that the phillies should be the third favorite for the wild for the world series presuming of course if, if they can get past obviously if they can get past atlanta they they become a huge favorite i think uh, depending on the other end of the NL bracket, but boy, I'm not that sure team about has, that.
2: That's like, is... I think it's going to be really hard if the Phillies do take out the Braves and the Dodgers in succession. I think that's going to be a really, really tough task in a five and seven game series. I don't think, no, no. yeah, it's, I, I, I'm, just, I don't see I, that I, happening.
3: I don't, I don't necessarily know that I see it happening, but boy, is this team good? Like last year was not a fluke in, in what they did in September yeah. or in, in October, rather not a fluke. This is a genuinely good team. And this is also a team that is built extremely well for short series for short series. Yeah. With the two dominant starters up top with a l- really good lineup with a bullpen where they're just enough high leverage guys. that You don't have to worry about the, the creamy middle that that always sinks a lot of teams that I think we saw um, in particular. Hey, are we talking about I, the Phillies I, or
2: the Braves right now?
3: Well, that's the thing. It, it's weird. In 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 this Braves, Phillies, NLDS, it's basically they're, they're almost mirror images of each other yeah. in a lot of ways. Philly. And I think we can get in in depth to this uh, a little later, but that, I think, is what what makes Philly so dangerous is because they are basically Atlanta. you know they, they, for as much for as much as we're we're as much crowning as we're doing of the Braves and they deserve it. They're a fantastic team and they're the deserved World Series favorite. Philly is no joke. You know mm-hmm. this is the, again, not a fluke. You saw it, and I, I granted, the Marlins were very much not the favorite in that series, very much probably the weakest team in the entire postseason field. Um, but Philadelphia ran over them without even without slowing down a beat. Mm. Uh, and you, again, they have all the pieces to make a postseason run work. Between Wheeler Noll at the top with that lineup, with uh, the bullpen looking good right now between Jose Alvarado and Craig Kimbrell and the cooled rookie Orion Kirkering, whose name I cannot get enough of. Uh, high leverage reliever Jeff Hoffman, which I I just love. I love that that guy's uh, found a, a high point now in a career that's been so torn apart by injuries. So there, there's my take coming out of the wild card round. The Phillies are legit. They are. If they get past the Braves, I, I think we might have to start talking about them as World Series favorites.
2: We'll see, John Taylor. We'll talk a little bit more about the Braves and Phillies in a second. But the bit the of the four teams that were eliminated uh, mm-hmm. this week, John Taylor, who was the biggest surprise wild card exit for you?
3: I think it's the Rays. I mm. look. I, I don't think anyone is surprised that the Marlins are, are out. like I said, the weakest team in the field, uh, you know, by Pythagorean record, they, they were a 77-win team, really just mm. kind of snuck in thanks to the Cubs collapsing. Similarly, the Brewers, once Brandon Woodruff went down, I think that, that turned that series pretty much into a 50-50 shot, and Milwaukee's offense was always going to be the potential problem for them, and as you saw, it was. And uh, Toronto, I... It, you know, you, you talk to Blue Jays fans or you see what they're saying. I, I don't think any Blue Jays fans, much less uh, people who knew the team, really had any faith that they were going to go anywhere. That offense just weirdly never woke up. Uh, the starting pitching wasn't there for them. Of course, John Schneider's bizarre decision to pull Jose Barrios in game two yesterday ends up uh, being a very costly maneuver. But I, I, I didn't really find it surprising that the Blue Jays lost that series. I think we had them as the favorite per zips in that series, but at the same time, and it also goes to show the advantage sometimes of home field, like Minnesota mm-hmm. having that home field advantage, which I think really stood out. And um, so I, I, I got to go with the Rays, you know, a 99-win team during the regular season. They got off to a 27-6 and start. You know, they were, for a long time, we were talking about them as the best team in the American League, if not the best team in baseball. I know injuries left them by the time October rolled around a shell of themselves. You know, mm-hmm. no no Jeffrey Springs, no Drew Resmussen, no Shane McClanahan. No Shane Baz, who never really appeared over the course of the season. No Brandon Lau, uh, not injury related, but no Wander Franco, no no Luke Rayleigh in the series, which meant having to play Manuel Margot. You know, this was not the 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 full uh, best possible Rays roster coming into the postseason. But at the same time, that's every team. You know, you got to make do with what you've got. The the Rangers came into the series with no Max Scherzer, with a bullpen in complete disarray, uh, with you know, guys coming back from injury semi recently, like Jonah Heim and Josh, Josh Young, where you, I don't think you could really be sure one way or the other what they were going to contribute. Mm. But it, to me, it, it beyond the fact that it's a 99 win team, it's the way the Rays went out. Those yeah. were arguably the two worst postseason games any team has played so far <laughs> in this in this playoffs. Mm. Sloppy, uh, just disconnected, terrible at bats, bad bad decisions for the most part. I think on Kevin Cash's part, I particularly when it came. Uh, I think in game two to leaving Zach Eflin in for what felt like an inning or two too long, never managed to get his high leverage relievers into a game. You know, you, I know they lost both games and it was never particularly close. I think especially in game two, but not using Pete Fairbanks at any point, not using Robert Stevenson. Uh, it, it just didn't, it didn't look like the rays that we're accustomed to play crisp mm-hmm. baseball, who seem to have all the advantages who maneuver their way into having all the advantages. They just flat out didn't show up for that series. Yeah, And that has to worry you, I think, if you're Tampa, because again, and we, you know, this is a team that has now lost seven postseason games in a row, that hmm. has scored two runs in their last 36 innings of postseason play, um, that made five errors over the course of that series. It, it does make you wonder, like, what is the ceiling on this team? Like, is it possible for this team to find that extra gear, you know, is or is Tampa a team that is just perpetually better constructed for the regular season than it is for the postseason? again a 7 7 game split over the course of 3 years is not predictive doesn't necessarily tell you anything but i think when you're getting those same results time and time again an offense that is very easily shut down even though it can even though it can manage a platoon advantage you know 90% of the time uh, a rotation that's very good but invariably you find yourself you find these pitchers and i think you know Tyler Glasnow perpetually you know gets four or five innings, but it's just it's a complete slog to get through it, and you're so reliant on a bullpen that has already been worked so heavily over the course of the season, particularly given how the Rays tend to slag their arms. Those guys get injured with appalling frequency. It it does make you wonder if it's like, is this really a team or a franchise that can work in the postseason? Because I, I think the other part of it, too, is, and again, granted, the loss of Franco, one of the weirdest, like, just straight-up – uh, that's not something any team can expect or plan for, but at the same time, that lineup—you know—beyond Randy or Rain, and Yandy Diaz, there was no real thump. There was there were there are not guys in that lineup you're particularly afraid to face or trying to pitch around. You know, it it it, it does does not feel like an optimized roster, particularly for the postseason. You know, I so I, in my mind, it's it, to me it, it's the Rays. It's the Rays who I think were the biggest disappointment of that wild card round. At the very least, I thought, you know, they would give Texas a full three games if possible. And that's to say nothing, too, of the fact that, you know, those two games, 20,000 people show up. I understand it's 3 p.m. on a Tuesday at a stadium that no one can ever get to, but that's flat out terrible. That is flat out terrible. You know, that, that, and that, that that takes you to a whole different conversation about how, okay, well, they finally got the stadium, but their plan is to build it in the exact same place where they're already having trouble getting people out to the stadium. Like, does having a, a TGI Fridays go along with the stadium really make any difference in that regard? Like, if you plop the battery in St. Petersburg, does that really, are you getting an extra 15,000 fans out of that? Probably not. So, look, it, it, this is a weird point. It's a weird point for this franchise. And I think you could say it's a, it's almost an inflection point because, again, this is three straight post seasons where the Rays have come in uh coming off great regular seasons have done nothing with it have looked very bad for the most part do, and it does make you wonder i I don't think we're going to get big changes from Tampa because if anything Tampa is a very consistent team with the way that they operate the way they do things the way they build their roster the way they develop their players but it does make you wonder again what is the what is the realistic ceiling here you know how far can this team actually go if this is just if they stick to this particular way of doing things, and if you don't have those, particularly those bigger name stars, you know the the big and you know losing McClanahan certainly didn't help. He would have been the ace in that rotation anyway. But I don't know. It, 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 it's a tough place for Tampa Bay to be right now, and I think it, it, again it, it it raises the question of where and how far exactly that the, their whole thing can go. Really,
2: here's what's going to happen, though. Uh, okay. We're going to forget all about this. In six months, they are going to be right there at the top of the AL East uh in May. And we're gonna be like, Well, I don't know. The Rays can do some stuff. The well, Rays for me are, personally, they're hanging around. Like I the I, Rays are mm-hmm. I will
3: come into the spring being like, It's finally time to, to give up on the Rays, they're only gonna win like 84 games. Then invariably they're gonna do what they do, and I'll be like, Okay, mm-hmm. fine, the Rays are actually good. We're gonna get to the postseason and be like, Okay, maybe this is the time, maybe this is when it happens and then they're going to lose in two games again in the wild card round to like Detroit or something, you know, it's, yeah, it it just starts to feel like a, like they're kind of in a, in a little bit of a, like a cursed loop or something like a groundhog's day type thing.
2: Yeah. It's, um, but i don't is, know I, I also just wonder like it's kind of amazing to see because this kind of brings into the blue jays who had another rough showing the al east had a terrible week um yeah. this week and now you're kind of like was the al east just sneaky bad and we we over because like the coming into the year we were like oh the al east like the worst al east team still going to be a really good team um and no, just about worst, any other division the
3: worst al east team was a below 500 red Sox team like right. they were
2: not good they're just straight up not good and the Yankees weren't good and now you're like maybe the Blue Jays weren't good and now we're like is it just the Orioles like a lot of uh, supremacy is riding on the Orioles having a good showing and now I'm just kind of like uh-oh should we be looking at a positive Orioles series here or are they looking at uh potentially getting bounced in their first uh playoff series in a really long time I don't know like do you make any who do you make anything of what the Blue Jays did as well John because both AL East teams get taken down for different reasons but um was it more managerial for the Blue Jays what what did you I, see? That I think with the Blue it's
3: just the same thing that's str- that they've struggled with all season. This is a lineup that just, for some reason, is not hitting for power and was not scoring runs in particular. Wasn't performing with men in with men in scoring position and, and in high leverage clutch situations. Mm. I don't know that there's anything you can necessarily draw from that other than uh, I think there's been a lot made of Toronto's hitters upping their contact rates, but still, but seeing uh, dips in power. I think you can make the argument. Maybe Toronto hitters were getting a little too contact happy, but making bad contact in the process. I think that's really the only. But to me, I don't know what else you can really point to. I mean, Bobichette uh, got hurt toward the end of the season, and I think that clearly affected him. I'm no, I, I have no idea what to make of Vlad Jr.' season. I think there are some things that can worry you a bit. George Springer is, you know, had probably his worst offensive season uh, as a full-time professional player. You know, he is only getting older. Uh, This was always going to be kind of the worry for the Jays at the back half, the back half of that deal for Springer that eventually, you know, once he now into his early and mid thirties that, you know, the production was going to start to decline. Uh, Matt Chapman had a terrible season aside from the month of April. He's a free agent next year. I doubt he comes back to Toronto, but a lot of that lineup success was banking on him being uh, kind of productive, persistently, consistently productive 30 homer guy. That didn't really happen. Alejandro Kirk took a big step back, I think. Uh, another one of those situations where there's a lot of contact, but not particularly a lot of hard, optimized contact. Uh, I, I you know, kind of worry about that with Kirk going forward. Dalton Varsho took a step back from what he did last year, which I think was to a certain degree expected that there was going to be some regression, but certainly took a big chunk out of his production offensively. Uh, Whit Merrifield looks completely cooked as a hitter at this point. You know, there, there was really, for the last two months of the season, the best hitter on the Blue Jays was Davis Schneider, and he more or less ceased to exist by the time October rolled around. You know, he uh, John Schneider didn't even call his 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 name one time during the series. So I, I don't know. I mean the, the Blue Jays are gonna have some decisions to make. I think the good thing for them is that there aren't really any major free agents uh, on that roster for them. Chapman is the biggest one, and considering how little he contributed, I think, overall to the season, that doesn't seem like something the Blue Jays will have a terribly hard time replacing. But you, you do, I think you do have to worry if you if you are the Blue Jays that it's you know this offense that is supposed to be the the key to to making everything work for you just did not come together. And some of that can be injury, but some of that's also poor performance. In particular, I think whatever's going on with Vlad Jr. with uh, the power outage he had with the kind of with the unproductive season he had, you've got to figure out where the consistency, you know where to find the consistency. To say nothing of the the poor base running he showed all season and the absolutely killer base running mistake he made, in game two getting picked off by, by Sonny Gray and Carlos Correa, um, a, a 10 out of 10 on the, that can't happen scale. You know, I, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what to make of it necessarily. I do think that John Schneider is probably out as manager. I think it's probably going to be hmm. a pretty easy, pretty easy scapegoating I think because of the Barrios Kikuchi decision, which uh, maybe scapegoat is, is, is too strong. Cause I don't necessarily think it was a, a huge blunder, but obviously it didn't work out. The the funny thing about that one being it very much feels like that was a decision that came from on high. It's just that Schneider decided not to deviate from that course, even though given the way Barrios was pitching, it does feel like the the smart choice or at least a safe choice would have just been to let him keep going. So I, I do expect there to be some changes in Toronto, but I also do wonder what exactly it is they can do with this roster uh, that just has not performed up to its up to its capabilities. You know, I, I do wonder if, and, and this is obviously one of those intangible things, I, I wonder if the Blue Jays also just bought into their own hype a little too much. Hmm. You know, you had guys like Brandon Bell, who not even a part of this core, just a dude they brought in in the offseason, saying before the season started, I think we should be the World Series favorites. Based on what, my dude? Based <laughs> on a, a good lineup and Kevin Gaussman? Lots of other teams have a good lineup and a really good number one pitcher, too. Like, that doesn't, hmm. you know, to say nothing about the fact that, as we talked about, like, yeah, the AL East, I think, was a little disappointing on the whole, but still a lot of difficult, good teams, particularly having seen what the Orioles did last year, knowing that the Rays are always going to be there. I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of it is just, just the Jays getting a little too high on their own supply because the, the vibes around that team in particular, by the end of the year just did not seem very good. You know, that did not seem like a group of guys that was having a particularly good time out there.
2: No. And I wonder if, like who has more of a lasting impact? I feel like the Blue Jays have more of a lasting impact. The Rays are used to this; they'll bounce back, they'll be totally fine. The Blue Jays, you're more dubious of like did you miss Did you miss a moment? And that leads me to my next question, John. Mm. Of the four wild card losers, who do you think is most likely not to make it back into the postseason next year?
3: The Marlins, uh, mm. if only because that roster was just should not have shouldn't have made the postseason in the first place. Um, I think, like I said. More the beneficiary of the Cubs completely falling apart than than mm. anything. I mean, they had a good September. I, I don't want to take that away from the Marlins, but again, based on the peripherals, based on the numbers, this was should have been a below five hundred team, a team with no real offense to speak of, down its two top starters. Again, no surprise what happened against the Phillies. That at uh, the Phillies, I think had them were the most favored team by our odds uh, in the wild card round, and they showed why. Mm. But if, if you're the Marlins, you're going into next season with the exact same problem you've gone into the last seemingly three seasons with, if not forever. Where is the offense going to come from? Last year, they've tried to figure that out by dealing Pablo Lopez for Luis Arias. And for the most part, that worked. Lopez had a very good season, but Arias also had a very good season. That trade benefited everybody. This year, or this offseason, they're going to, Jorge Soler is a free agent. Uh, More likely than not, I think that he's going to walk, given the kind of up and down nature of his performance in Miami you know again we've i've talked about this on the on the show before you know you look at Miami's farm system there is not a lot of top end offensive talent it's still you know the the number one guy uh, in their system right now is the delightfully named Yiddy Cap or cap Cappy C A P P E mm. uh Cuban infielder who is all the way down in high A not a guy i think you're going to you, you would expect to be a part of the 2024 Marlins you know similarly you know you're talking about maybe guys like Jacob Berry Joe Mack uh victor mesa jr eventually maybe uh xavier edwards those dudes are still pretty far away edwards is probably the most likely to make an impact next year but he's a very marlins type player and that he's fast he he hits for contact but there's not really a whole lot of power in his game and again you you keep seeing this with the marlin the struggle to put runs on the board the struggle to hit for power the pitching has been there will always be there but on the other hand and and this is a lot of this is going to depend on what happens with alcantar if this sprained elbow essentially heals on its own, or if this is a precursor to Tommy John. Um, if it's the latter, that Marlins rotation is all of a sudden looking very, very thin for next year with Yuri Perez, Jesus Lazardo, Braxton Garrett, and a whole lot of question marks beyond that. You know, what version of Trevor Rogers can they get? Uh, is Max Meyer ready to come back from Tommy John surgery? You know, who who is who of those young guys is realistically capable of stepping up? They've got a lot of great young prospects in their system pitching-wise. Uh, they're two, their two top draft picks in 2023, Noble Meyer and Thomas White. They've got Dax Fulton in double A. They've got, uh, you know, they've got Patrick Monteverde and Jacob Miller down a little further down and Carson Mebrat. But there's still, you know, the, the pitching depth that had kind of helped keep this team afloat and that had made them a viable contender has really been chipped away at this point. You know, they've again, they traded Lopez, they might be out Alcantara next season. Uh, Sixto Sanchez clearly, you know. It, you know, it's. It, I'm openly curious if he's even going to be able to pitch again. He's been out of. The, he's been out so long with his various arm injuries. Um. You know, they've lost. They've had a lot of attrition due to injury. They. You know, they traded one of their better pitching prospects to get Jake Berger from the White Sox at the deadline. I, I'm really curious what Miami's going to do this offseason, if and if there's any realistic chance that ownership opens up the checkbook even just a little bit to allow Kim Eng to add some offense because this team really is going to need it. You know. I don't think we can expect that the Mets are going to lose 85 games again next season, or, or 90 games, or however, however many games they lost. The Braves are still going to be really good. The Phillies are still going to be really good. The Nationals should be a little bit better, and they were—they were not a terrible team necessarily last year. They weren't a good one, or this past season. They weren't a good one, but they were not pushovers either. Mm. You know, the NL East is crowded, and there's no guarantee either that the Marlins are going to be able to make hay in the wild card race again, because you would expect that the NL West teams will all be back. You'll expect that the Reds should be better. You would expect that the Cubs should be there again. Uh, you expect the Cardinals, I think, to be better than they were. You know, there, There's no guarantee for the, for the Marlins here. So I can very easily see a world in which they are nowhere near the playoff chase next year, particularly if they don't get the offense they need. Um, otherwise, like you said, I, I do worry about the Blue Jays. They do really need to figure something out with that offense and what's going on. But I think it's pretty safe to say Tampa will be there. And it's hard to argue against Milwaukee, even though there's, a, you know, a a very pivotal offseason for them and what they're going to do with Corbin Burns, perhaps. But the NL Central is always so weak that I can't really, you know, I I think the Marlins are a much likelier team to miss than, say, the Brewers would be.
2: Yeah, because the NL Central is just what it is. I, I think it's the Blue Jays for me. I think this was their shot. Like, I am not, I think the Orioles aren't going anywhere. I think it's going to be a situation where a lot went went right for them in the wild card chase and the AL East as a whole. The Rays just are more sustainable. And I also think the Orioles are in a better spot. And I just, I don't know what the Red Sox and the Yankees are going to do this offseason, but I just, I don't know. My gut tells me the Blue Jays are trending in a very, uh, very tricky situation now. And I I'm, mean, you, you
3: do have to worry that the window is starting to close. The one that yes. they basically opened up when they started calling up all these guys and obviously and, and we'll talk about it I, I, when the offseason rolls around and we look at the Blue Jays in particular that the big question they're going to have going forward is when and how do we approach Beau Bichette and Vlad Jr about long-term deals because mm. those are going to cost a lo- it's going to cost a lot of money to get those two guys signed long term. Yeah. And you know, how is that going to affect their ability to spend in the offseason? How is that going to affect uh, their decision making in the offseason is, you know, knowing hey, these two guys, the cornerstones of our offense, the cornerstones of this team We need to get them locked up sooner rather than later. What is that going to cost us? And how are we going to how are we going to manage around the edges when you're already starting to see again? Springer is starting. George Springer is starting to slow down. When you know you have a a, when your veteran guys like Merrifield and Belt, admittedly had a good season. um, You know when when you're counting on those veteran bats and you don't really necessarily know what you're going to get out of them. Uh, when you, especially when you had uh, your best young pitcher in Alec Manoa take such a huge step backwards, that I think it's an open question as to what you're going to get from him going forward. You know, there's, I think there was this expectation with the Blue Jays that you know with all those young guys with all those uh, the 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 prospects they were bringing up, sustainability was going to be easy for them. We're now starting to reach that point in the player salary curve where the the cheapness is not going to be there much longer. You know, they still have a lot of money they owe Kevin Gaussman going forward. They have a lot of money they owe Chris Bassett going forward. They have a lot of money they owe Jose Barrios going forward after signing him to a big extension, you know. Again, they're gonna have to find the room for extensions for Bichette and Guerrero, presumably. Like they're running out of guys who can do who can give you top end production for bottom of the barrel dollars. And it's really hard to it's really hard to develop those guys in add uh, ad infinitum unless you're the Dodgers of the Rays. So a lot of it's also gonna be banking on the Blue Jays player development system. To start cranking up the, the support that they need so that they don't have to go fishing in free agency for all these guys. Because, you know, things are about to start getting expensive in Toronto. And like you said, the the Orioles are ascendant. The Rays are are, are perpetually strong. I expect the Yankees and the Red Sox to be loud this offseason because both of those fan bases are going to be calling for it, uh, particularly in New York. So, you know, it, it it I think it's worrisome if you're a Blue Jays fan. I think it is, I think it is a worrisome time to be. To think about okay what is this franchise where is the opportunity for this franchise going to be going forward i don't think this year was one where they they never really they never looked like realistic contenders this year i don't think this is something like uh you know a, a necessarily a blown opportunity but it's at the at the very least it's another year pulled off the calendar where they did not win a, they didn't win the world series where their playoff stay was very short um you know it, it, it again it does raise the question of you know what what do they need to do to get better and how are they going to make that happen as things are starting to get more expensive and as the division is starting to get more difficult?
2: Yeah, I, I'm very curious to see what happens with the Blue Jays next year. They're a team to monitor early on. Uh, John, the best performance from the wild card round for you was who?
3: That's tough. I, I love Corbin Carroll. I thought he had a phenomenal two games against Milwaukee. He displayed all the, the tools that make you realize... Like, and what i one of the things i love about the postseason is you know most people watching the playoff games if if they were not a diamondbacks fan probably had not seen a whole lot of corbin carroll this year mm. you know the diamondbacks are are not a national broadcast team you know they're not a they're not a, a they, you know they weren't expected to be a big time contender you know corbin carroll obviously for people in the know was the favorite for the nl rookie of the year top prospect coming to the season but what I really love is the opportunity for casual fans to get a look at someone like that and just go, holy crap, who is this dude? Because, man, he can do everything. The power, the speed, the bat control, the defense. It is all top, top-tier stuff. I love watching him play. I love the series he had. Uh, I'm really, really excited. I think if, if you know, Arizona is going to pull the upset against the Dodgers, it's going to be in part because Carroll has a just huge series. They're going to need that from him. So I, I really loved Corbin Carroll. I thought uh, Jordan Montgomery, his start against Tampa, was was phenomenal. Uh, you know, exactly what the Rangers acquired him to do. I'm sure Brian Cashman was watching that one while slugging Milanta the entire time. Um, you know, so I, I love that one. Uh, Zach Wheeler doing exactly what the Phillies expected him to do. He's quietly been one of the best free agent signings of the last five or ten years. Just been a phenomenal pitcher for them. Again, the kind of performance that makes you feel like, okay, you know, that that is the number one starter you need for these series. That is, mm. you know, the guy you know you can count on to give you 6-7 shutout innings. You know, Atlanta has that in Spencer Strider, uh the Dodgers well they don't really have that in Clayton Kershaw anymore. Uh the Astros have that in Verlander, the Phillies have it in Wheeler, and it's one of the things that I think gives them a real advantage down the stretch or for the rest of the postseason for as long as they're in it is having him there. Um trying to think just uh, around the other series uh for, for me, the Twins, it was more of a collective thing than an in, than an individual thing. I thought Carlos Correa mm. had a fantastic series defensively. Uh, that run-saving throw in game one uh, to catch, I believe it was Santiago Espinal going to going to home plate. And then obviously yes. the the calling for the pickoff on Vlad Jr. in game two. Uh, you know, it's been a rough season for Correa, and, you know, I, I don't necessarily know that he's just going to, you know, he's obviously been a big time postseason performer and you know there maybe there is something to be said about those guys who can kind of flip that switch when the lights come on in october and just you know perform at a higher level but after now you get
2: houston which is the best case scenario for major league baseball this is a great a little
3: little bit of a grudge match here i like it, but um i think individually for for minnesota otherwise uh, pablo lopez was just terrific i love the season he's had it's so cool to see him uh, get to shine on a bigger stage, you know, and embrace the, Johan and embrace Johan. Uh, that was so cool. They asked him where he hmm. get the jersey from. He's like, no, it's just my jersey. It's like that. That just I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think those I think those are the guys who stood out most to me um, Who as as having the best performances. They're so just just really, you know, the, the guys who really just put the put made things happen for their teams at the at the optimal moment.
2: I like it, uh, John Taylor. The uh, final one uh, in terms of the wild card round. Thank you for not managing well this postseason for you. Each uh, each series, we'll we'll go through this. Who do you think? Because Ben Clements wrote a really good piece. The the impetus for me to bring this up was. Ben Clemens on fangrafts.com wrote about uh, managerial uh, choices and why it's amplified in the postseason, why it's just really not a big deal um, in the regular season because uh, making a mistake in the seventh inning on who to call or calling for a punt, whatever it is, like that's just the small potatoes in the grand scheme of things. But managers really matter in the postseason. And that, yeah. that's where you really find out if a manager is actually good. So, who do we find out was not actually good uh, in the wild card round?
3: I mean, the the easy answer is Schneider. I mm. I, I get the logic behind pulling Barrios for Kikuchi. You have the two left-handers coming up. In uh, uh I forget who the first hitter was. The second was Alex Kirillov. Mm. Who was the first hitter that Kikuchi faced? Who we ended up walk uh, walking or giving up a hit to it. Regardless, you had two lefties coming up. I can understand the impetus to, to get your lefty in there. At the same time, the inability to read the situation at the ground level and see Barrios is – no one is touching him right now. Mm. Like, yes, he just walked Royce Lewis, but Royce Lewis has been the second coming of Barry Bonds for the last six weeks. I think we can forgive that one. The The Twins were obviously going to pinch it for Kiriloff with Donovan Solano, which is exactly mm. what they did to take away that lefty-lefty advantage. Kikuchi is a starting pitcher. He is not used to coming into relief. Uh, based on the fact that he's a guy who requires apparently fourteen hours of sleep every single night, I think <laughs> he's a guy who's pretty routine oriented. Not yes. exactly the kind of guy you want changing his whole setup coming into a game in a very high leverage situation. That just showed to me a, a, a real inflexibility with regards to being able to manage again the situation on the ground. So I thought I thought that was really poor work on Schneider's part. Again, I can understand the process, but you have to be able to deviate in that case and say no. My guy out there right now is pitching fantastically. You know, the the slight advantage I gained by having the lefty out there is, counter at, is countered by X, Y, and Z. You know, I, I didn't like that decision. I thought Craig counseled for the Brewers, granted the Brewers lineup is terrible. There, there's mm. only so much you can do with it, but all the bunting, all the you know, like letting Bryce Tarang hit, why are you pinch hitting with Jesse Winker? How is that what it's come to for the Brewers? I don't know how much of that is necessarily on Craig Council, but I, I I do wonder if, he's a guy who just needs a lineup that has more just offensive depth to it where hmm. you don't have to ask him to, to try to make that kind of stuff work because I, I, but again, that might, that might just be a personnel issue. Otherwise I, I thought Kevin Cash was mostly fine. Again, I thought he left Zach Eflin in too long in game two. I didn't, I didn't understand why he was so uh, seemingly unwilling to go to his best relievers when he needed them in Fairbanks and Stevenson. But um, you know, I think there's only so much you could really do there. And, and Skip Schumacher, who cares? You know, that, that Marlins team just wasn't good enough in the first place, you know. I, I think you can argue probably with some of his decisions in terms of, uh, in terms of, you know, the the relievers he used. But again, that, that's not a good, that Marlins bullpen is not good. Mm. You know, it, it is not a great one. Maybe trying to play uh, lefty-righty matchups a little too much, but it, it doesn't really matter ultimately, I think. You know, it's, you know, and, and I think too, it's, for so much of this, it feels like it's less about the managers and more about the personnel, which is why I think the 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 Schneider decision sticks out all the more, you know, because that wasn't an instance where it's like, well, what are you going to do? He's got bad options no matter what. Mm. The option he had right there in front of him was the best option. It's really hard to argue otherwise. So, um, and I do think that that is probably going to be the thing that gets him canned ultimately, which may or may not be fair, but you know, that's, it, it, it just it again it just demonstrates a, a struggle to adapt to the game situation as it happens it reminded me a lot of Aaron Boone in the postseason uh or, or Dave Robertson is worst where you know there's this kind of inflexible orthodoxy where it's like no I must do things this way this way and that way I gotta go with my starter here and go with my reliever there and it's like no you need to be as flexible as possible especially uh especially in that game too where it's like every out counts this is you know win or go home I, I think there it's like the argument is, the argument has to be Barrios is giving me better than I can realistically expect from Kikuchi right now so yeah I, I I think Schneider holds that belt so far
2: there you go uh John Taylor final thing we go into the NLDS this week and the ALDS lot of big time matchups a lot of inter division matchups here um what is your favorite slash best division series matchup on either side. And who do you think is also the worst matchup for a team that uh, got a first round by who do you think got the worst draw?
3: I think I think my answer to this to, to both is the same. It's brave Phillies. I think mm. I think that's going to be it's going to it's going to be a it's going it, to be an endless battle. It's going to be so much fun. These are two two lineups of both mash uh, top starters and Strider Wheeler Nola hopefully Max Fried, mm. uh, bullpens with some really good some really good arms in them. It, it, the crowds for both those games are going to be absolutely loony. We've already seen what Citizens Bank Park is like both last year and so far this postseason. And, you know, I I think, you know, like I was saying before, I think the trouble for the Braves here is they have a team that is basically them. Mm. You know, the, the one advantage the Braves have had over pretty much everyone is that offense is unstoppable for the most part. They will just slug you to death. But this Mm. is a team that can slug back and that has two starters in Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola that are capable of keeping you off the board for an extended period of time. I think the worry for the Phillies uh, has to be games three and four and beyond, but that's going to be a worry for Atlanta too. Game three is Bryce Elder right now, and I cannot imagine that the Braves feel good about throwing him at Citizens Bank Park against this lineup, particularly if they're down down 2-0. Similarly, game four for Atlanta has to be a bullpen game.
2: Mm. Uh,
3: I, I, I don't think they would be able to bring Strider back on. They'd have to bring Strider back on three days rest to pitch game to pitch game. Uh, sorry, I'm just looking at my calendar right now. Str- if Strider starts Saturday. The NLDS game two would be on Monday. That's one day, two day, three day, four day. So they could bring him back on four days rest. Mm. Uh, or f- I guess the full five days for, for NL for game four. But, you know, game three is going to be game three. I think is going to be the tricky one. I th- imagine the Phillies would go out with Ranger Sanchez. I would obviously like that better on Philly's side than the Braves going with Bryce Elder. I, I, look, that I, regardless of regardless of who's got the better matchup there, though, that's going to be such a fun series. I'm just so excited to watch it. It It's just going to be nuts.
2: Well, I also just don't know what they're going to do. Like, I think AJ Smith Shaver is going to have a role is the vibe I'm getting. Okay. And I think he should. I mean, someone put out that game three should be AJ Smith at Shauver, And then you put in Kyle Wright in the middle. And like, that mm-hmm. could be what they do um, for the postseason is you give AJ a couple innings early and then you get to Kyle in the middle innings. And then you get to the, the late innings bullpen guys. Like I don't hate that. Or even if you flipped it, like you give Kyle, Wright The first couple innings and then you go to AJ, well, but I, AJ like has just better stuff. And Bryce has not been trustworthy down the stretch here. Like I don't, want Bryce Elder pitching important playoff I, games I right s- now.
3: I can see it being something where they let Elder try to get through the lineup one time and then go to Smith Shaver maybe. Yeah. But I mean, look, it, assuming Freed is back for game two, the Braves lineup. He will Strider, be back.
2: I, there's no way Max Reed's not pitching game two.
3: So it lines up Strider game one, yeah. Freed game two, some combination of Elder and Smith Shaver in game three. Mm-hmm. You can bring Strider back uh, in game four if you want to, and then you can bring Freed back in game five. So the, the the Braves are well set up in that regard. The other thing is they're only going to have to face Wheeler one time. He pitches yeah. in game two. He'd have to come back on short rest in game five. Similarly, Nola is only set up for game three. Uh, you know, so really the, the big X factor for the Phillies this series is going to be Ranger Suarez, who's mm. guaranteed to get the game one start, Who would be lined up for the game five start uh, if it gets that far. That's, that's really, really, you know, that's going to be huge for them. So, you know. The Braves at least can thank their lucky stars that the Phillies did have to go through the wild card round to disrupt their ideal starting rotation uh I think otherwise, I'm also really looking forward to twins to Twins Astros. I think that's going to be a, a a really good series back and forth and in terms of the other team, I think that probably should feel a little worried about their first round matchup, if you're the Orioles, you didn't want to see a Texas team with this lineup giving your pitch. Mm. Given where the pitching is at, given where the bullpen is at, and how badly it got used up in September, given that you don't have Felix Bautista anymore, I think similar to Atlanta, Philly, I can see that Orioles-Rangers series being kind of a slugfest where it's basically last man, last team, last team up has the has the ultimate advantage, for what it's worth. And I'll, I'll just go through our Zips uh, postseason odds for each matchup. We've got the Orioles as favorites against the Rangers, fifty-six percent to forty-four. We've got the Astros sixty-four percent to the Twins thirty-six. We've got the Braves 59% to the Phillies 41% and the Dodgers 62% to the Diamondbacks 38 So we've got the, the top seeds as the favorites by m- pretty big margins in all cases. Yeah. But I do think the Rangers, they can definitely make some noise if Montgomery and Yavaldi can replicate what they did against the Rays. They're in really good shape there. I think the main issue for the, the Rangers is they're going to have to start Dane Dunning and Andrew Haney somewhere along the line here. Mm. That's not necessarily what you want um and then I guess the most low-key upset possibility I think it might be Arizona because that Dodgers rotation is in shambles we don't know what they're gonna get out of Clayton Kershaw they're going to have to start Lance Lynn in game three game four is almost certainly a bullpen game and while that might be some combination of Ryan Pepio and Emmett Sheehan I, you know, I, there is no guarantee with what the Dodgers are doing. The only guy I think you feel really comfortable with on the mound is Bobby Miller, and he's a rookie, you know? Mm. And he's had a fantastic season, but this is not, you know, this is not throwing out Verlander or Scherzer or Pete Kershaw or Walker Bueller. This is uh, the weakest, probably the weakest Dodgers postseason rotation. We've seen in quite a bit. Mm. Um, granted, Arizona's not doing a whole lot better in that category, but at the same time, there is a real possibility here, if, especially if Arizona can put up some runs early on this team, or on those pitchers, um, they are going to be in pretty good shape. Obviously, they're in far worse shape if they're trailing late because that Dodgers bullpen is loaded with shutdown guys. They're going to have a hard time scoring runs, especially because they are not a team that hits for a lot of power. Uh, the Diamondbacks are, but you know that Dodgers rotation weakness I think does give Arizona a pretty good size opening to make some chaos. But um, I, I, I mean, look if you want my if you want my picks for how it shakes out, I think. I think I'm going to go I think I'm going to go chalk all the way around. I think it's Baltimore, Houston, Atlanta, Los Angeles.
2: I don't think it's going to be chalk all the way around. My gut says I think we get to Dodgers, Braves, no matter what. I think okay. I'm not really worried about the Phillies. I know a lot of people are. I'm not worried about losing. I mean, the again, it,
3: it really does make a huge difference that they only have to face Wheeler and Nola one yes. time apiece.
2: I also just don't think this team's losing to Philadelphia back to back years. I don't think that this has been penciled in of like, if we get them again, like we're not going down to Philadelphia in back to back years.
3: I mean, it, I think also the, the big difference here too, is last year they had Ronald Acuna at roughly like 80%. Yes. This year they have Ronald Acuna at 140%. They have, yes
2: a good marcel azuna who just hit 40 dingers and 100 rbis like they have
3: a healthy ozzy albies which was yes. just not there last year they have uh, uh matt olsen coming off 53 like yes this, this they have breeze. options
2: where travis darno if he wants to like because max Reed's more comfortable darno you can go that way and sean murphy's a much better defensive catcher than they had uh a year ago and you're just looking across the board they're just more loaded and healthier and I just I'm not worried about that one. I'm far more worried about getting out of the NLCS against uh, the Dodgers and/or having enough pitching to, like the thing that will ultimately come down to the Braves, uh, whether or not they win the World Series. How healthy is the starting pitching throughout this entire run? Like if Freed's not 100, percent I don't see how they are able to win three consecutive series with Spencer Strider having to do everything and then just bouncing between AJ Smith Schauber, uh, Kyle Wright, Bryce Elder. Like, it's just they don't have the bodies in the rotation if Max no, Fried is not 100%.
3: If Free's is not 100%, but they get out of the DS anyway, they desperately need Charlie Morton to make it back in, in one piece. And
2: that's, I mean, what does he look like? And he was, I mean, he's been eh? like, you don't yeah. feel great about Charlie Morton. You don't feel that much better about him than you do Bryce. Eld- I don't know. I just I think that's what ultimately dooms him. But I don't think it dooms them in the NLDS. I think on the ALC and the ALCS or DS part of it, my gut says we get Rangers Astros.
3: OK, I would love that. I would love an AL West CS.
2: That's what I'm going to guess. And I also think that'd be the most fun series. If we get Rangers Astros an and Braves Dodgers, that's the best case scenario for Major League Baseball.
3: I think so. I think. It'll be really funny if we got we got Astros Braves again.
2: That's what I'm saying. Like that's great if you get Astros Dodgers. That's great if you get Rangers Braves. I think there's a lot of a lot of fun opportunities here if you I get mean, those I, four.
3: I, I love I love the plucky uh Baltimore Orioles. I, I yeah. enjoy what they do. You know, I, I pick I pick them to win the World Series in our Fangraphs predictions because I'm trying to make that would up be wild. For, what a world. all the Orioles fans who despise me for all the things I've said about the Orioles over the over the last like eight years, but. Um, if they win, do yeah, you sell I,
2: high and trade Jackson Holiday?
3: <laughs> I think if they, I think if they win, they sell high on Gunnar Henderson. Yeah, no, they're not actually going to do that. Um, Yankees,
2: I, I think, would you like a Gunnar Henderson? We heard you want to get younger. How about three prospects for well, Gunnar Henderson?
3: If there's any fan base that is probably best suited to take the to take a loss in this division series, it's probably Baltimore because you can look yeah. around that roster and go, "Oh, but everyone here is like 25 years old and awesome. We'll be fine. Yeah, it, it's fine." You know they, this team is already ahead of schedule I think from what from what we all expected so yeah um but yeah I, I I you know I, I think we we will get an upset I just I'll just go ahead and predict chalk anyway because I don't I have no clue where that upset is coming from. I just can't find it you know I, I can't feel comfortable saying one way or the other.
2: my one, one is, is the be. Orioles but we'll see okay. if that uh, if that ultimately happens. John Taylor fangraphs.com go check it out today all kinds of great pieces ben clemens and company um writing all kinds of great columns Jay jaffe whoever it is you know it's gonna be good on fangraphs.com they got you covered
3: and we'll like a a reminder we have recaps off every single game we will have previews for the division series coming out uh on friday if you're listening to this on friday that means They'll be already up, depending on what time you listen to this on Friday. I'm creating like a time loop in my own head. We'll have uh stuff. Well, uh, the thing Ben or the thing that Chase was talking about, Ben is doing a does managerial report cards mm. after each series for the losing team. We'll have the one for the NL with Craig Council and Skip Schumacher out on Friday as well. Uh, the Zips postseason game by game odds are updated after each game and as matchups change. So if you want to know who's got the advantage, check those out. Uh, we update our World Series odds too. And right now, as it currently stands, the highest World Series odds in uh, in the field left, the Braves at 27%, followed by the Astros at 17.5 and the Dodgers at 13.6. Fangraphs.com. We've got all the postseason baseball stuff coverage that you can, you can ask for.
2: So go get it. Go read it. There That's you cool. go. Fangraphs.com. Check it out today. John Taylor, always a pleasure. And I will talk to you next week sounds good this has been ingram
3: radio voice of the atlanta braves and i'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the chase thomas podcast as a friend of the podcast i'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one
1: to show your support for the program tell a friend or co-worker
3: or even a family member about the program and if you're an apple podcast listener leave the show a rating and a review It goes a long way that'll do it for me but don't forget to listen to
1: myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves!
0: Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, That you're interviewing,
2: mm-hmm.
0: your, um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you.